Welcome to Check Us Out, the podcast from the Montclair Public Library. I'm Peter Coyle, Director of the Library, and we're glad you're joining us this month. We're celebrating Women's History Month with a number of lectures and programs. In this episode, Molly Maurice will be sharing more information with you about those programs and events, as well as talking about the Montclair Literary Festival sponsored by Succeed Together. We hope you'll join us at the library for these exciting programs. In our book segment, our intrepid Ken and Kirsten will talk to you about some highly anticipated March releases. They have some favorites that I think you'll enjoy as well. And lastly, you'll hear a conversation that Molly Hone, our head of adult services, had with Charlotte Alter, Montclair native and author of the new book, The Ones We've Been Waiting For. Charlotte joined us last month for our Open Book, Open Mind series, and we're glad she took some time to talk with us for our podcast. Hello, this is Maurice from the Adult School. And this is Molly from the Adult Services Department. And we just want to uh, alert you some of the programs going on here at the Montclair Public Library during the months of, I guess, back half of March through to uh, early part of April. Great programs going on, some of them relating to Women's History Month in particular. And uh, do you want to start us off, Molly? So we have a bunch of interesting programs going on in March. I'm just going to rattle off some dates and times and titles for you. On March 24th, we have Sleep, Health, and Hygiene for Children. This is a program that is open to parents and caregivers. That's at 6 p.m. on March 24th. On March 25th, Carol Simon Levin is going to present a program on women's suffrage. She will be impersonating a historical figure as part of that lecture. So it'll be kind of part lecture, part performance. That's at 6 p.m. Um, on Monday, March 30th, we have Jane Eliasoff from the Montclair History Center presenting a lecture titled Heroines and Trailblazers of Montclair at 6.30. So that will focus on important and famous and notable women of throughout Montclair history. On March 31st at 6.30, we have a special information session from Start Out Fresh Intervention Advocates, otherwise known as SOFIA on healthy versus unhealthy relationships and recognizing the signs of an unhealthy relationship which should be very informative that is a very that's going to be in one of our smaller rooms so we do encourage rec- registration for that i'll put the link on the the page for the podcast then pivoting over to april we have on saturday april 4th at 10 30 in the morning blueprint for financial success presented by andrew andrew blackwell who has an mba Um, That's kind of an intro to personal finance and um, financial planning. We also have a program sponsored by our youth services department at 11. It's about self-care for parents. So that's a youth services program, but it's for adults. Then the week after that, April 6th, we have Healthy Eating on a Budget with a dietitian from a local shop, right? That's at 6.30. On April 7th, we have at 4 p.m. score Metro New Jersey is going to be leading a talk on content marketing, which would be great for our local small businesses and entrepreneurs. And on April 9th, we have a rain barrel demonstration with Green Mojo Eco Consulting, and that's at 6.30, and they're going to be showing and describing how a rain barrel works. Maurice, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Molly. Sounds like very interesting programs, very a broad range too, which I'm sure um, our patrons will appreciate. Please. Oh, and they're all free, by the way. <laughs> Makes it even better. It's a bonus, <laughs> for sure. For the adult school, as I mentioned earlier, March is uh, Women's History Month, and we're certainly acknowledging that in our programming. So our major program, major free program coming up will be Deja Riley Isidorchik. She'll be doing Balance and Shaking It While Keeping It Zen. That's on Friday, March 20th, 7 to 8.30 p.m. 
It is meant to be a fun evening of dance, exercise, and candid conversation. Deja is the daughter of noted R&B producer and performer Teddy Riley. He's worked with, you know, Michael Jackson and Bobby Brown and some other notable acts. She is a professional dancer. She has performed dance with Beyonce, with uh, Lady Gaga, with some other notable acts as well, you know, and she's learned a lot. She uh, She's lived in the West Coast for many years. You know, she's traveled around the world as a dancer, you know, and she's has ideas on self-care and ideas on women's empowerment and she's going to bring those ideas here to fun in a fun evening uh intended for both you know adult women as well as teens you know we hope this, this could be a sort of a mother and daughter event for many you know so we're really excited about it you know she has a great platform a great mess she wants to share as well as you know some you know she's bringing all those ideas sort of you know into a dance program so it's, it's you know meant to, to engage both the body and the mind you know so that's what we're looking for with this one we also are doing Dorothea Lang Beyond Photojournalism on Thursday, March 26, 7 to 9 p.m. This is also at the library. I should mention that Deja Raleigh as well is at the uh, is at the main branch of the library as well as this Dorothea Lang program. If you can, go to the New York Times website and definitely check out the piece they did on Dorothea Lang. It's very, very good. She's a very powerful, very influential photographer, photojournalist, and a very powerful she dealt with very powerful themes which she conveyed through her work. And we're going to acknowledge that. You know, we're going to work through that with Joanna Matlock, who is our leading photography instructor here at the, uh, at the adult school. So we're certainly looking forward to that. We're also acknowledging Ruth Asawa, sculptor, educator, arts activist, on April 2nd, Thursday, April 2nd, from 7 to 9 p.m., also here at the main branch. And uh, Ruth Asawa was a very influential artist and educator, I should say, and activist in the West Coast, San Francisco area in particular. She was key into getting arts education into San Francisco, and San Francisco's leading arts high school is actually named after her. That is Ruth Asawa. So please come out to that. That's very exciting. Also, we're bringing back astrophysicist Charles Liu at Museum of Natural History, and you know he's also a professor, and he will be talking about the 32nd Universe, which is a book that he wrote with Karen Masters and Seville Salor. It's a way of sort of making the complex ideas of science astrophysics and simplifying them for the everyday citizen. Those who don't have PhDs in astrophysics should be able to, you know, uh, engage with these sort of ideas. We're talking about the Big Bang. We're talking about questions about the cosmos. And, you know, as the title suggests, these are meant to be a 30-second universe. So these are half-spoken explanations to many of these complex concepts. And this is on March 23rd, Monday, March 23rd, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. This is free at the main branch of the Montclair Public Library. And is the Deja event also free? Deja event is also free, okay. yes. Free to the general public on a Friday night, so... There's no barriers to entry, so it should be a fun event for everyone. And with all our events, you can register at adultschool.org. That's adultschool.org to register for all our classes. And for the other ones that I mentioned, you would go to montclairlibrary.org to register. Um, now that we're done talking about events, I'm just going to draw everyone's attention to the other piece of our segment, which is little-known uses of your library card. I want to highlight two language learning resources that we have available. One is Mango Languages. This is a, a language learning platform that is available to Montclair Public Library cardholders only. It has a pretty nice variety of languages. It's compatible um, with most mobile devices via an app. You can also use it in a web browser. 
and it's a really nice way to begin to learn um, the language that you're interested in. We also have Rosetta Stone for libraries, and that's also goes up to a sort of beginner level. Also has a nice variety of languages, and that's actually available to any public library cardholder in the state of New Jersey. So if you listen to this podcast and you love the Montclair Library, but maybe you live in a different town, you can still use it. Um, you just have to go through um, either jerseyclicks.org or through your local library's website. That really is open to everybody. So between the two, you have some choices. And I think it's it's really great to be able to offer um, free language learning resources to everyone. We also have some great language learning books up on our second floor. Um, we have a whole aisle of various levels of, of different languages. So I would encourage you to use that, especially as you might be planning your summer vacations. Maybe it's a little early, but I know some of us are thinking about it, and I know I am. So if you're going somewhere, you could at least uh, ask for directions and order a nice meal in the in the language of the country. That's always helpful. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I hope to we see you at some of these gajillion upcoming events. There's so much going on at the it library. Is, I hope. Um, and this is just really the, also the, the programs for adults and kind of general audience, but we have even more going on for kids and teens as well. So definitely take a moment to look at our website and just see all the different options of different activities. I think you won't be disappointed. Yeah, we know Montclair is a, is a diverse and uh, I want to say, I don't want to say complex, but it's a diverse town. It has a lot of different, there are a lot of different people in, the, in Montclair. It draws a wide cross-section of people. So we definitely program to meet the needs of a wide variety of people. So hopefully someone can find something that would engage them in, in, among the wide swath of offerings that we have here. Yeah, yeah. Try to have something for everyone. And if you want to see something that we're not offering, we're all ears as well. Please let us know. Um, I should also add, too, we are going to be the host of several literary festival events on March 28th. That's a Saturday. So from basically when we open to when we close that day, 10 to 6, we will have events for youth as well as adults and general audience. And there'll be something going on pretty much the entire day. So you would need to go to the Literary Festival website for more information on that, but I'll put that in the description on here. Um, it should be a really fun day filled with all things literary. Yeah, I went there last year and thoroughly enjoyed it. Any book lover, any lover of a wide variety of subjects, current events or science or historical figures, I think we get a lot out of the uh, Literary Festival. Yeah. So it's definitely something you want to mark on your calendar. Yes, we hope to see you there. All right, so... This is Molly. This is Morris. Signing off. Signing Thank off. you for Take listening. Care. Hi, this is Kirsten, the MPL Teen Services Librarian. I've got some recommendations for highly anticipated March releases. Up first is All Your Twisted Secrets by Diana Urban. This new novel is being compared to Agatha Christie classics and to the hit One of Us is Lying, so it's sure to contain lots of fun, sinister twists. It all begins when a group of high school students from different groups and with different interests are invited to the same scholarship dinner, or so it seems. It quickly becomes clear that this was just a ruse as they discover that they've been locked in a house with a bomb, a syringe full of poison, and a note saying that they have one hour to pick someone to murder or they'll all be killed. As they work against the clock, it becomes clear that everyone is hiding something and they may not be able to save themselves. Next, we have Be Not Far From Me by Mindy McInnes. This survival story finds Ashley alone in the Smoky Mountains after a night of hiking and partying with friends goes horribly wrong. 
After catching her boyfriend with another girl, Ashley runs away in anger, only to fall in the dark into a ravine. When she awakes, she finds that she has a nasty infection in a wound on her leg and must find her way out of the wilderness with only her wits. For fans of both Hatchet and Wild, this title is sure to be as an intense and captivating as McGuinness's previous works. We also have two new books from highly popular authors that I'd like to highlight. First, we have Cassandra Clare's Chain of Gold. The author of the Mortal Instruments and Infernal Devices series is back with the first in a new trilogy, and like her previous work, it's also set in the Shadowhunters universe. This one finds London under quarantine due to a series of demon attacks unlike any the Shadow Hunters have faced before. While trapped in the city, main character Cordelia discovers that she and her friends have a dark link to a force that bestows loom powers. Whether these powers will help them in the face of the new attacks remains to be seen. The second is a new work by Marie Liu, author of Legend and Warcross. The Kingdom of Back is her first work of historical fiction, and it follows the story of the Mozart siblings from the perspective of Nenerl, Wolfgang's older sister. Though it isn't strictly re realistic fiction, the elements of magic help to enhance the lyricality and emphasize the bond between the siblings, as well as draw attention to the more limited options a young woman musician faced in the 18th century. For notable nonfiction, we've got Earth Day and the Environmental Movement, Standing Up for Earth by Christy Peterson. This title is released in March, so we should have it available in plenty of time to celebrate Earth Day this April. It covers the founding of Earth Day in 1970 and how divisive environmental concerns have become in the 50 years since. This title is dense with information, but it is presented in an accessible enough way that the material is appropriate for uh, the middle school audience that it's recommended for. It's being described by reviewers as essential reading, so this is definitely a volume to pick up if you're interested in learning more about environmentalism and its ties to social justice. Finally, Dragon Hoops is a new work of graphic nonfiction from the excellent Jean Yang. Combining memoir with sports reporting, this title follows the men's basketball season at a private high school in Oakland, California, where Yang teaches. It addresses the history of the sport of basketball, the trials and victories of the season, issues of race and equity, and the creative process involved in creating graphic novels. Anyone who has enjoyed Yang's previous works will definitely want to check this title out, as will anyone who enjoys graphic novels about sports such as Check, Please. March is a month full of great new releases, so come by the library to check out all of these and more. I'll turn things over to Ken now to share some more recommendations. Hi, this is Ken French. I'm the Collection and Materials Manager here, and I'm very excited about some of the new books coming to our shelves in March. First of all, we have the debut novel by the noted film director Brian De Palma called Are Snakes Necessary? De Palma is the director of the classics Dressed to Kill, The Untouchables, Scarface, and a favorite of mine, Blowout, so he knows something about suspense. In this book, a young woman and former staffer of a U.S. senator gets revenge on the senator and his chief of staff after being sexually harassed and threatened. According to no less an authority than Martin Scorsese, it's like having a new De Palma picture. Next up is The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. She wrote one of my favorite post-apocalyptic novels of the last few years, Station Eleven. This one is a more contemporary tale of a woman who disappears after her boyfriend's Ponzi scheme collapses. The multi-talented James McBride returns with Deacon King Kong. His book The Good Lord Bird was one of the notable novels of the last 10 years, and he also wrote Miracle at Santa Ana, which was turned into a Spike Lee movie, which McBride also wrote. This one takes place in Brooklyn in 1969. The deacon of a local church shoots the neighborhood drug dealer and repercussions occur. Since one of McBride's recent books was a biography of James Brown, Kill Him and Leave, which I highly recommend, I'm confident that he's gotten his 60s references down. Walter Mosley brings back his wonderful character Leonid McGill for his sixth book and the first in five years with Trouble Is What I Do. In this installment, a 92-year-old blues man hires Leonid for what seems like a simple job. But of course, things spiral out of control and put both Leonid and his client in danger. 
And last, but certainly not least, is the long-awaited The Mirror and the Light, the final installment of Hilary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell trilogy, which started with the brilliant Wolf Hall. It's been eight long years since Bring Up the Bodies, and while everyone can learn Cromwell's fate by looking him up on Wikipedia, the beauty is seeing how Mantel will bring him there. She is probably the best historical novelist of our time. I can't wait. That's it for this month. Happy reading. So I'm here with Charlotte Alter, who is the author of The Ones We've Been Waiting For, How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America. Charlotte was here at the library on Sunday, February 23rd, to talk about her book in discussion with writer Julian Lucas. And Charlotte has graciously agreed to interview as part of our podcast. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks so much for having me, Molly. Thank you for for joining us. So I'd like to open with a couple of kind of fun questions. I'd love to hear more about how long you lived in Montclair and your experience growing up here. Yeah, I mean, well, so my I was born in New York City, but I my my family moved to Montclair when I was like five. So I definitely feel like Montclair is my home. I have a couple memories of before we lived in Montclair, Mm -hmm. but this is where I grew up. And yeah, I mean, my parents still live here. I recently, just last year, got married in my family's backyard in in Montclair. Um, So nice. And I just feel very, uh, how do I put this? I just feel like Montclair is such a special place. It's a place where there's so much kind of vibrancy and culture and so many great restaurants and also just it has a real sense of community. And I actually, I went to private school uh, in Livingston with a lot of people who, um, a lot of my friends grew up in other towns, right? Because Mm -hmm. the school drew from a bunch of different towns in New Jersey. And so in seeing all these other towns in New Jersey, I really realized how special Montclair is. Nice, nice. Actually, my mom uh, is a teacher at your alma mater. Oh, yeah, at Newark Academy. Yes. So actually, you mentioned restaurants, and one of my next questions was, do you have a favorite restaurant or place to eat in Montclair? So, you know, since I grew up here, the restaurant scene has changed so much. But um, I have to say that Raymond's was like an all-time, was and is an all-time favorite. And when I was in like middle school and high school, my family would go to Raymond's every single Wednesday night. And that was a little bit before it got kind of hot. And now people are coming from all over the state to go to Raymond's. And it's like, you can't get a table and you can't get in. So we like to say that we were kind of there early. Um, And Raymond himself used to kind of come up to our table and say hi every Wednesday. And it was a nice little family tradition. Nice. That's a great place. Yeah. So do you have a favorite memory of the Montclair Public Library, or do you want to talk about what your relationship with libraries has been in your life? Yeah, so I remember going to the Montclair Public Library and taking out, like, it, I mean, it felt like hundreds, but in retrospect, it must have probably been like eight or nine books that were sort of my favorite series. I was really into a couple different series. I loved Nancy Drew. I loved the Boxcar Children. I loved the Horrible Histories series. I loved the American Girl series. And some of those series, it was like, my parents were like, we're not going to buy dozens of copies of like essentially the same book. right? right. Um, so I would go to the library and, you know, take out and I have this v- really vivid memory of these kind of plastic crates, almost like almost like shopping mm-hmm. baskets or something that I would go around the library with and fill it up with the books that I wanted and then and then check them out. And then I you know, when I went there to the library last week for the talk with Julian, 
he and I were both talking about how the library just looks physically smaller than I remembered it because I, because I was smaller um, during a lot of the time that I spent there. So I remember it being this huge building. And then when I went in the other day, I was like, oh, this is a normal size building. (laughs) Yeah. We still have those crates, by the way, the shopping baskets. Yeah. Um, Would you say there's a book uh, or series of books that have had the biggest influence on you? as a writer or just as a person? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, do you mean like when I was a little kid in Montclair or in terms of for writing this book? Because those are kind of two different. Um, I guess both. Okay. If you wanted to <laughs> so let's start with like the more professional, sophisticated answer, which is sure. that I, for writing this book, one book that I really looked to was The Unwinding by George Packer, which okay sounds really pretentious to say because he's like a titan of American literature and I'm just a random 30-year-old reporter. So like, I don't want to say that I'm comparing myself to him, but I did look to that book to inspire the structure of this book. And it's very much about how these broader social and economic forces shape ordinary people's lives. And it's told through the, it's told through the perspective of people's lived experiences very close up. And it also is kind of broken up by little asides that that show different things that are going on that kind of illuminate the broader argument. So I really modeled the structure of this book on that book. But more broadly, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Montclair, there were two books that, you know, I don't know how else to say it. I just like, I loved them. (laughs) Or two series, really. One was the Horrible Histories series, which if you haven't read, Mm -hmm. they are for like nine to 13 year olds. And they're mostly about British history. And the only way to describe it is is just like history with all the interesting gory parts left in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, who got beheaded, who was having an affair with this person, like what people did, you know, how people would go to the bathroom in the Middle Ages and who was the grossest king and what kinds of like gross makeup people would wear. You know, if you're 10 or 11 years old, you're way less interested in the geopolitical implications of the Magna Carta and much more interested in like, gross, they didn't take a (laughs) bath. Um, Yeah, I can see that. And I loved, loved, loved those books. And it kind of stuck with me in a way because I realized that like you have to have a kind of human visceral element of these stories to keep Mm -hmm. people interested. And then the other books that I loved, which, you know, some parents might not like, but I loved these books called Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, which were the Georgia Nicholson (laughs) series. Um, (laughs) And they were these, again, I can't think like roughly the same age range, you know, sort of like middle school-ish. But they were these books about this British teenager who is, for lack of a better word, she's just hilarious. And she just has this like totally funny, fun kind of view of the world. And she's always trying to you know, get a boyfriend and she's always, she has this like friend who's kind of her frenemy and they're competitive, but they love each other. And her parents are really irritating and her sister is really irritating. And it just, I just thought it was really funny. And I didn't realize that books could be funny that way. So I I loved those books. Yeah, same here, actually. Those books and the Princess Diaries series were my bread and butter in sixth grade. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. So, um, so your book was published a week ago yesterday 
on yes. February 18th. So congratulations. Thank you. And I was hoping for our listeners who may have not read it yet, can you just describe it a little bit in your own words? The book is called The Ones We've Been Waiting For, and it's about millennial political leaders. So I trace 10 millennial elected officials from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Pete Buttigieg, who's running for president, to Republicans like Elise Stefanik and Dan Crenshaw, to some of the young women who flipped seats in 2018, like Haley Stevens and Lauren Underwood. I trace them through the major formative experiences that shaped how millennials think about politics. So it starts on 9-11, goes through the wars that followed, then the financial crisis, the rise of Barack Obama, and the social movements that arose during his era, like Occupy and Black Lives Matter, and then the rise of Donald Trump. And one of the things that I learned in reporting this book is that it's actually a myth that all young people are liberal and all older people are conservative. In fact, people shape their political attitudes around the events of early adulthood and what happens in your kind of late teens to late 20s has a disproportionate impact on your political leanings for the rest of your life. So if you look at, that, at what that means for millennials, who, again, millennials were born between 1981 and 1996. So if you look at what that means for millennials, it means that they, their political attitudes were largely shaped by George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump, and the events that happened during those presidencies. And that's what this book traces, sort of what happened in those years and what it means for, politi- for millennial political leanings moving forward. So you did um, two years of, of research and reporting for this book, correct? Yeah, I mean, I sold the actual book two years ago, which means I got the contract for it. But I had been reporting and thinking about this for roughly, you know, a year before that. So I would say it's really three years, but, you know, two or three, give or take, depending on how you want to think about it. Sure, sure. And in that extensive research period, was there a piece of information or anything like that that kind of struck you as most surprising or unexpected or interesting? Um, That's a great question. I think one thing I learned that was sort of unexpected was that I did kind of, I guess I would say that I did go into this believing that conventional wisdom about how all young people are liberal and then they get more conservative as they age. And the the research that I found debunked that and actually ended up making the thesis of this book significantly more relevant because it's not just like these young people believe this right now. It's that young people believe this right now and are likely to keep believing this as they move through the world into later adulthood. I also think that one thing I learned was that I was surprised at what I learned from millennial Republicans, specifically about kind of the delicate dance that many young Republicans are doing around President Trump. Some young Republicans have fully embraced him. Others are kind of tiptoeing around him. And so hearing about how they navigate that was really, really interesting. Was there a, a, anything about writing this book that was exceptionally difficult or challenging? Yeah, I mean, basically everything about writing this book was <laughs> exceptionally difficult and, and challenging. I mean, this was a project that was much bigger than I anticipated when I took it on. And one challenge, one thing that I really tried hard to do was I really did not want to, 
it's very challenging when you're talking about an entire generation because there's a tremendous amount. I mean, not only are millennials the most racially diverse generation in history until the generation that comes right after them, but they, uh, you know, there's just nothing that you can say that applies to literally everybody mm -hmm. in this generation, right? You know, obviously there are many, many, many exceptions to everything I'm talking about. And in particular, you know, I'm talking about broad trends here, particularly in terms of leaning towards Democrats. So roughly like, you know, all available data and polling shows us that millennials lean towards the liberals or, de or progressives by roughly two to one. But that's, again, two to one is not a hundred to zero, right? So I had to be really careful in not overstating that case and not pretending like literally every person in this age bracket is a liberal Democrat. And because that's just not true, you know, roughly, roughly 30 to 40% of millennials are conservative and that's a big chunk and you can't just ignore that, right? So I think finding a way to thread that needle and stating the point that yes, this generation does lean to the left, but it's not, that's not a complete lean was one of the more challenging aspects of this. Well, I thought you did achieve a nice balance with that after having oh, read the book, you. by the way. Yeah. I got a very clear sense of kind of both sides of the, the aisle, I guess we would say. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. So can I ask, I don't know if this is too intrusive, but ha has there been a response from baby boomers and, you know, people outside of the millennial cohort to this book? Have you heard from anybody directly or are you getting a sense of general reaction? So it's so interesting. Um, you know, one thing that I, so yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not too, there's no such thing as too intrusive of a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've heard there are some baby boomers who have responded to some press I've done around socialism in particular, for example, who have a fairly violent reaction, a very, a, a fairly strong anti-socialist reaction. But in terms of people who've actually been engaging with the book, I've been pleasantly surprised at Boomer's reaction to it because a lot of people have said to me, essentially, thank you for explaining these generational differences that have been, that have seemed so baffling to so many people. Mm -hmm. And I really tried hard also not to make this book a screed against boomers. You know, like, I just don't think that that is productive, you know? So there's only really one, or not even one, but really like a half a chapter that's about kind of boomers and where they fell short. But what I have actually heard more of is less from boomers and more from Gen Xers who feel a little bit looked over and feel like, you know, feel rightly like they're actually the next generation after the boomers. And they're not wrong, you know. But what I say to that is like, listen, I just think that that's a totally different book. And I would love to read that book about the rising Gen X cohort and what they believe and why they believe it and, and the forces that shaped them in the 70s and 80s, I, I would be the first in line to buy that book, but uh, it's just not the book that I wrote. Are there other books or, or resources about the topics that you do cover in your book that you'd recommend to readers to check out? Yeah, I think that there are a couple really good books that kind of get into some of this. Um, one is called Kids These Days by Malcolm Harris, who actually also wrote a book that is out, I believe. So Kids These Days is about 
the unique economic peril that millennials are in and all of the forces that created this hyper-capitalist sort of hellscape that a lot of millennials find themselves trapped in. And it is very laser focused on what that meant for young people and millennial childhood and sort of the, the student debt machine that many millennials find themselves caught in. So if you're really interested in the economic aspect of this, I would really recommend Kids These Days by Malcolm Harris. And actually, Malcolm just recently wrote a, a new book that's out, I believe, this week called Shit is Fucked Up and Bullshit. <laughs> um, and I have to admit, I haven't read it yet. But his work is really good and it's on similar themes and I think you should check it out. Another book that's a little bit more about millennial kind of social identity and psychological evolution, sort of how millennials think of themselves and the world and how they behave socially is called Generation Me by Jean Twenge. I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. But she is an incredible generational theorist and has done a lot of really good work on this topic and I would recommend that, that book. Thanks. I'll put those um, in the description when we post the podcast so people can check it out. Great. And um, just to wrap up, are you reading or watching anything interesting right now? Ooh, great question. (laughs) Um, I am reading Working by Robert Caro, which I really like. And I'm about to start, and I just finished reading Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. I tend to actually read much more fiction than nonfiction. And I am really looking forward to picking up Where the Crawdads Sing. And I'm forgetting the name of the author right now, but my sister told me that she loved it. So that's next on my reading list. Nice. And Julia Phillips is also from Montclair. No way. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. She was here in September and we also interviewed her for the podcast. Oh my God. I did yeah, not know good that company. Julia Phillips was from Montclair. Wow. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we go? Thanks for making the time to talk with me. And also Montclair rocks. That's that's my Uh, final message. I I love, love, love Montclair. (laughs) We agree. We agree. We love it too. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Molly. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Check Us Out. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. You can reach us as well as find more information about our materials, programs, and services at montclairlibrary.org. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next month for another episode of Check Us Out.